This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and our guest today is Nick Sikevich, who is the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. I just kind of did this on uh, Twitter Live. We're recording this on Sunday night, which was new and interesting. Um, I think I screwed it up once, but no big deal. Um, anyway, uh, I got to meet Nick uh, because he followed us on Twitter and I just shot him a DM to see if he'd be interested to be a guest and he responded very quickly like that. And uh, we scheduled a discussion soon thereafter. In all honesty, I didn't really know Nick uh, or about Nick. And then started digging into the research. And uh, big shout out to Brian Krinsman at UMass uh, who helped me with this. And this guy's a legend. Uh, he was part of starting up the MLS in the very, very early days. Uh, he built two MLS stadiums, one with uh, the New York Red Bulls, the second with the Philadelphia Union. And he was part like of the early, early days. And he's even won MLS Executive of the Year, not once, but twice. Um, crazy good stuff. Uh, and really uh, a person I was so glad to know and to learn from uh, because he is just so interesting. And what he's done has just been out of this world. And now he is running the National Lacrosse League, which is just on fire. And he's just doing such a great job there. He's been doing some Great innovative deals, uh, one with MGM uh, where you can now bet on NLL games, uh, and he really describes that whole partnership in detail in our discussion today. Um, and he also has uh, an agreement with Twitter and uh, Bleacher Report Live on broadcasting their games uh, through those channels. Uh, incredibly innovative uh, incredibly forward-thinking, and I learned a ton uh, from my discussion with Nick, uh, and I hope you do too. Um, if you could, would appreciate it, please leave uh, a review on our uh, Apple podcast page. Uh, also give it that five-star review. Those things really help more people follow our podcast, and we'd really appreciate it. And give our social media uh, platforms a, uh, a, a, a follow. Um, we've really been putting out some good content there, we hope, and uh, hope to make it even better. So um, after you do all that, uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the conversation with Nick Sikevich. He is the commissioner of the National Lacrosse Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane. My guest today is Nick Sakevich. He is the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. Uh, Nick, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So one of the things I like to start off with, because I always find this interesting and different, and I always feel like they have a different uh, perspective per se, is... You came from 
immigrant parents. How did that shape you uh, growing up, and how do you think that affects you in your professional life now? Uh, um, yeah, a lot, lot of uh, a lot of touch points there. Um, my parents uh, escaped Poland during the war, and I'm first. Uh, my brother and I, first generation American, and we grew up with soccer balls on our feet before we could even walk. I think. Huh. Um, and, and really grew up, my, my dad was, uh, was a player. He created a, a social club here in New Jersey, uh, right across the river from New York City. And I ended up playing soccer my whole life. And that had a great, great influence on uh, my life, my professional career, uh, and even to what I do today. So it's uh, really proud of that heritage. That's that's uh, I because I always think like when they come from that kind of background they instill that in you and I always thought that that made such uh, different uh, and unique uh, executives because I felt like it adds more grit and more uh, determination than kind of your average person not to say that your average person doesn't have grit or determination but I just felt like it's always different. Yeah, I think um, I think you grow up not taking anything for granted. And, um, you know, you learn, you learn to earn your stripes and work real hard and, and enjoy what you have and celebrate the small wins as well as the big wins and uh, learn from your mistakes. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, not just my parents, but my, both my grandparents on both sides. I mean, they, uh, they saw some pretty incredible things in their lifetime and pass it on down and, and you learn a lot from all of that. Yeah, it's a. Um, I, I love to see that. So you were a, a life. You said you were born with a soccer ball on your foot, uh, and you were a, a great player through indoor soccer leagues. You played over in Europe. How did your uh, How did your experience as a player kind of help you in your uh, in your professional career? Oh, a lot of impact. A lot of parallels between uh, competing in sport and and the business world. Uh, throughout my career. So right around when I was about 16 years old, I was a field player. I was a forward and a goal scorer, and I relied on other people to get me the ball to do what I had to do. But, but then right around 16 years old, my, I was in high school and playing for my club team, and, and my coach needed uh, needed the guys to take turns playing in the goal. So it was my turn to, to step into the goal, and I never left. Uh, huh. It was uh, was a position that I was really good at for a variety of reasons and uh, gave me a professional career for six years. And the position taught me a lot about life, about team spirit, about collaboration, about a lot of things that you need in the business world to be successful. And it's funny, like now later on in my career, I, I still stay in touch with a lot of ex-teammates and former goalkeepers that it's kind of like a fraternity goalkeeping and and all of them not a single one of them hasn't had great levels of success in their post-playing career so i don't know something about the position that just makes yeah. makes great great leaders and great people so i'm I, really <laughs> proud to have been a goalkeeper i, I love i love that i always found that uh, especially college athletes or anything above, you know, really collegiate athletics, um, that those types of people have a different gear of like competitiveness. 
So that makes them, uh, you know, uh, ex- maybe a different level of a um, of a person. Uh, so that helps them in their career, whether it's you know in sales or in something else. Uh, but that extra competitive lever that they've got that maybe the non-athlete uh, that they don't have, I always feel like gives them an upper uh, upper hand in uh, in a professional career. Yeah, it's, it's something about it, like, that you just, you know, characteristics that you develop from the position where, you know, you just say to yourself, nothing is impossible, and you don't take no for an answer, and I guess you put it well, it's a it's a different gear, it's a, a gear that maybe some others don't have that teaches you that. Yeah, I, uh, uh, as a former collegiate baseball player, I like to say that I've got that gear, <laughs> but, um... They, um, so one of the things I, when I was going through and doing my research on you, uh, Nick, is you were one of the founding executives of Major League Soccer, and oh my God, what Major League Soccer has turned into uh, turned in today. Can you take us behind the scenes a bit about the early days of MLS? I remember it as a high schooler when it was coming uh, coming up, uh, and I found it intriguing, but I didn't really know anything about soccer. I was a baseball guy. Uh, can you tell, like, take us behind the scenes. What was, like, the early days of the MLS like? Well, it was a small group of us, and uh, it was 19, like, it's late 1995. You know, we came off the World Cup in 1994, the summer of 94, and uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of executives that were uh, executing on that World Cup for U.S. soccer moved over to to create an office in Los Angeles. And right about the middle of 95, I guess, um, I was contacted through a former national team coach of mine, uh, recommended that uh, the, the guys organizing the league give me a call because I was working at a credit card bank. We were a huge MasterCard issuer at the time. And uh, I got a phone call from Alan Rothenberg, who was the president of U.S. Soccer, and Randy Bernstein, who was the head of the commercial business to launch Major League Soccer, uh, which was the promise that U.S. Soccer made for getting the World Cup in 94. So I got invited to um, to a meeting in Los Angeles. I'll never forget. I walked into a room, and there were some pretty high flyers in that room. Robert Kraft and Phil Anschutz and Holy cow. Lamar Hunt and John John Kluge and, uh, of course, Alan and Randy and Mark Abbott and Kathy Carter and some terrific people that were organizing this league. So, long story short, of course I helped them because I wanted to see a professional league start and do that process, probably about four or five month process. They came back to me and asked me if I wanted to join their small band of executives to help launch the... uh, major Division One professional soccer league in the United States and thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime chance. So I left my job in San Francisco working for Credit Card Bank and joined the team in Major League Soccer in November, I, guess, I think it was November of 95, as the league's first vice president of sponsor sales. Wow, it's, a, it's, a, it's incredible. So when you would go into the different markets, uh, you know, you'd say America has got an interesting relationship uh, with soccer. What were some of the first reactions that you were getting? 
Uh, soccer. Uh, this kind of the stuff I heard when I was a player over here, um, or and and when I played, I played a couple seasons in Europe. Like the U.S. doesn't embrace soccer. Soccer will never make it. You know, they've been saying soccer is going to be a big sport, and it never is. And blah blah blah. It's too low scoring. You know, stuff that kind of went in my ear and went out another. It was all kind of white noise to me anyway. To all of us, it was white noise. We just we just put our heads down and. Launched the league in '96, and uh, just a phenomenal 21-year run for me. Building two stadiums, managing two teams, and then owning, creating one at the end with the Philadelphia Union, and and owning a piece of that team was uh, really just a great, great 21-year run. And it's very proud of uh, what Major League Soccer is today. It was truly. Uh... Um, incredible. One of the things that we talk about is, you know, overcoming adversity. So, all right, so that, that guy tells you, someone says it's never going to work. What was your rebuttal to that? Well, uh, my rebuttal, I remember we, we, we coined this, we coined this phrase that never's a long time. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it's uh, presumptuous to say something's never going to make it. Um, and there's a, it's a mistake to say something's never going to happen because just when you say it, it just might. So, uh, you know, a lot of perseverance, a lot of tough times, a lot of great people uh, thinking through those tough times together uh, in a very collaborative way, great support from ownership uh, through those tough times. And, you know, look at, look at Major League Soccer today. It's a robust and still growing league. A growing sport. There's a whole new generation of millennials and Gen Zs that are growing up. You know, soccer fans haven't been born during the time Major League Soccer was was founded and started. So it's, it's, uh, it's very, very satisfying. I can I, I can imagine. I also can imagine too. Uh, I've been able to be a part of uh, three now minor league ballpark builds, and you were part of the. Uh, building of the Red Bull Arena and the Philadelphia Union's uh, soccer stadium, um, PPL. Um, well, w- one of the ones that when you did Red Bull, it was like one of the first ever soccer-only facilities. Uh, what were some of the challenges of getting that through uh, when really it was kind of still the early, the infancy of MLS and trying to get a soccer-only facility built uh, during that time? Yeah, that's a that's a long conversation. <laughs> I can imagine. It was five. It was it was five and a half years of uh, you name it. Um, you know, new, I built I built that building in New Jersey, right outside of Newark and Harrison. Great location, lots of soccer demographics, but uh, lots of corruption. Three governors in that five year period, multiple politicians wanting to destroy the project. And prevent it from happening. Media that was skeptical, saying it would, ne- you know, again saying it'll never happen. The stadium will never get built. Um, ne- never's a long time. Say, never's a long time, <laughs> right? And uh, we had 9/11 tragedy uh, that set things back. We had a technology recession meltdown on the on Wall Street that set things back, but. But we, we kept plugging away at it, and I had a great team of consultants and a great owner and Phil Anschutz. And, and in September of 2000, and 
September of 2006, we put a shovel in the ground and very proud to have done that. So it was five years. It felt like 20. <laughs> it was five years. I learned a lot on that project. And then uh, I almost immediately went to Philadelphia and, and got my second stadium done. And from everything I learned in in New Jersey and New York, uh, was able to get that stadium in the ground in about two years. Ah, you know, you, you almost doubled the time. Uh, or cut the time in half, I should say. Yeah. Uh, well done, well done. So, yeah. and uh, in your illustrious 21-year uh, career with uh, MLS, you were also a two-time executive of the year uh, in uh, in MLS and just uh, exceptional. Uh, and we feel honored here to have you on Front Office Features uh, to have such a distinguished guest. So uh, congratulations on all that and your, uh, on what you did in MLS. Um, and now you're Thanks. with... Yeah, and you're very welcome. Uh, now you're with the National Lacrosse League. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what drew you to lacrosse? What is it about, um, what is it about um, lacrosse that uh, makes you excited? Uh, and, um, you know, what kind of took you to the NLL? You know, in a lot of ways, uh, Rob, similar things that attracted me to MLS. Um, maybe in a little bit different way. I mean, I'm not a lacrosse guy. I'm a hardcore soccer guy and uh, played, obviously, and and worked in the sport for a long time, and I still am a passionate, passionate soccer guy, but I've become a passionate lacrosse guy, and when I looked at, when the NLL owners approached me and I looked at their product and I looked at, you know, great attendances in some of their markets and arenas, fantastic ownership, you know, we got five NHL teams now and two NFL owners and two NBA owners and just people of vision and diversity of thought and a tremendous product. The best athletes in the world play in our league in the sport of lacrosse. Um, and there was a lot of uh, ingredients that reminded me of what Major League Soccer could have been. And, and on top of that, a league that was around for 30 years. So, you know, when you're around 30 years, it's means you're doing something right yeah right i joined the league on its 30th i joined the league on its 30th anniversary and here we are celebrating our 34th we've added we've added six new owners and four new markets and are starting to bring in great sponsors like geico and anheuser-busch and we just announced a deal with mgm for our sports betting platform yesterday so I guess a lot of things that attracted me to Major League Soccer attracted me to the NLL, and I never thought I'd have a, a second once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I, I really felt like this was a second once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so I decided not. I decided to put my retirement on hold and, uh, and um, joined uh, the National Lacrosse League as their fifth commissioner in January of 2016. It's uh, and I love what you've done. We can we're gonna. Go, I'd like to dive a little bit about your uh, different partnerships. But one of the things I find about the National Lacrosse League is it's extremely innovative. Um, you know, I saw that you're broadcasting games live on Twitter, and you just did the largest deal in league history with uh, Bleacher Report Live. Can you not those specific deals, but can you take us through the philosophy about why you thought those were important for your league? So I, I learned when we started Major League Soccer, there was no digital environment around, and you know, cell phones weren't televisions, and 
And we, we really had no choice but to distribute our product on linear television and through written press. But the advent of the digital age uh, that really, you know, kind of started to get real traction maybe seven to ten years ago and really more recently in the last four or five years, you know, the cell phones and mobile devices, I mean, these are televisions today and they give us a tremendous, they give a league like the NLL who, you know, we have limited resources where we don't generate the revenues of the NBA or the NHL or the NFL, and we're an emerging sport. We're sport of a new generation of kids and that are growing up to be adults, and, and so we have limited resources. And the digital environment really gives us the opportunity to broadcast all of our games to a wide scope of people. You know, so the NLL on DR Live live streams all 117 regular season games, playoffs, and championship awesome and that that's just not feasible or possible when when you've got you know a growing league and it you know we're somewhat of a niche sport today although very quickly becoming mainstream with a lot of water cooler talk around lacrosse and and you're seeing nfl players who played lacrosse you've seen nfl owners who are getting into the game and we have some of them in our league so it's uh the digital strategy was kind of a no-brainer for us to adopt and really embrace so that we could grow the league and, and grow expansion. And is the, uh, forgive me for my ignorance, the lacrosse demo uh, is, I would assume, a bit younger of a demographic who consumes much of their media via, you know, um, via social media or via digitally, I should say. Yeah, I know, that's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, this new consumer today, there's, there's three types of, of viewers today. There's, there's court shavers, which are the older group like us, you know, we're trimming down our cable subscriptions. There's, there's the, uh, the court shavers, the court nevers, uh, that are really something very interesting, which are the super young group, which are growing up and realizing that they don't need cable. They're the, the, the Netflix generation. Um, and then, you know, there's, and then the, and the bulk, bulk of that group is really our fan base. So when you look at, when you look at what they're, what they're consuming live content on, you know, it's iPhones, it's iPads, it's computer screens, and it's also that big 65 inch television sitting in their, in their living room that uh, is a smart television, which is a computer screen today. So yeah. It's a, it's a great strategy for a league like ours. We've had viewership in a very short period of time, and we continue to scale it up. It's uh, I, I I love that. It's uh, one of the things too. I think the National Lacrosse League does a great job. Is like you guys just go out and do, and I, I love that. And uh, I I I'm just very impressed of uh, your leadership and what you've been able to do. And talking about some of the larger deals that you just done, take us through. I just found this, like I said, it, it, inter, very interesting. The uh, the great deal, the massive deal you just did with uh, MGM. Talk about. Can you talk about that partnership and why you think it'll be transformative for your league? Yeah, I mean that's a great example of the kind of uh, flexibility and alacrity we have to be able to move around. You know, in soccer. 
soccer's a storied sport with a lot of tradition and you know you, you need to go through lengthy processes to get stuff done and in the national lacrosse league we are the biggest league in the world and, and we're able to move and and shift and and change on the fly so sports betting platform is on the minds of every sports league today um and we needed to put and we continue to put some things in place now to be able to shape our strategy um but it's going to be transformational because the fact of the matter and this is a statistic that 80 percent of the people that game on a sport or bet on a sport are most likely to become an avid fan of that sport and that and that really? 80 percent marker is tremendous i mean that's that's just a marketing blowtorch. Yeah, um, right. So that's why that, that's why sports betting is so vital for our strategy. And what is some uh, elements of the MGM partnership that just is like that you were really excited about uh, to implement uh, into the NLL? So the first phase is a marketing partnership. So we are marketing together through the NLL platform. They have um, the rights as the exclusive. Um, gaming partner of the National Lacrosse League, and we're executing um, all media assets. So when you watch BR Live, we're featuring uh, MGM and commercial inventory, and um, uh, through a, a variety of assets on our on our broad, within our broadcast as well. Um, the second phase, uh, or actually, the second component of the partnership is they are providing us. Uh, advisory services and consulting services on sports betting. It's a pretty complicated space to operate in. Uh, we're not experts in that space. They are. And, uh, and they're advising us and providing counsel on how to launch the, the best sports betting platform. And then the third component is the sports betting platform itself, setting odds on our games, um, providing those odds and betting opportunities for fans in arena in places where it's legal, in states where it's legal, um, being able to post odds on our television broadcasts and integrating that technology and that statistical information on our BR Live broadcasts. Uh, so that's the third piece of it. I um, I just, you, I find it. Um, you know what you're doing like I said extremely innovative I also think too for our future sports uh, business executives that are listening to our our, uh, our discussion today is we've talked a lot about sports betting and different podcasts and that's an area if I was a young up-and-coming sports exec I would look into like how the heck can I get involved in this because sports betting is going to be a rocket ship over the next five to ten years. There's going to be more and more states that make it uh, legal. It is just going to be integrated into our daily lives, basically, um, uh, it with, with sports betting, more so than it is today ever. And I think that there's so much opportunity there uh, for young up-and-coming uh, sports execs. We, we very much believe that's the case. So we're, uh, our data tells us that over the next two to three years, uh, most states in uh, the union will have legalized sports betting, and um, this is a great opportunity for us to do it right. And we're partnered with our stats provider, uh, Sports Logic, which we just added this year, uh, Genius Sports, which is helping us with our integrity platform to make sure that our games are 
uh, proper and our competition is is uh, uh, not uh, not damaged. And of course, MGM and Roar with the Bet MGM platform. Uh, when we're ready to flick the switch, they will be the engine behind our sports betting platform. So we're really really excited about that group of three professionals that we've added to our to our sponsor family and I'm very excited they're the best in the world at it so That's awesome. that was our goal too we didn't want to we didn't want to shave we didn't want to you know uh, play around the edges we wanted to go with the best and the brightest and I think that's going to serve the NLL for a long time. Yeah, you definitely got the best of the best with uh, with M- with MGM. What they're doing is just uh, is spectacular, and partnering with uh, folks like you is just. Uh, I love where they're going. I love where you're going as well. And speaking of where you're going, I. I um, I, I read something that you want to uh, grow the uh, National Lacrosse League, is it by two teams a year? Um, besides simple math, what, is the lacro- what does the NLL look like in five years? What does it look like in 2025? Well, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I don't want to grow the league two teams a year. We've done that the last two years, yeah. and so we're, we're going to slow it down. We're going to okay. slow it down a little bit, so... Uh, we're, we're going to do. We're going to get to 16 teams by 2023. So we're we're working on our 14th team. We're we're close on announcing that deal. Um, we have uh, six other uh, ownership groups or single entities that want the two other franchises. So we want to get our mission is to get to 16 teams by 2023 uh, by the 2023 season, and then really take a look at what our strategy is to go from 16 teams to 30. At that point, there'll only be 14 more teams for us to add to the league. Uh, And we want to be very careful, very strategic, pick the right owners, make sure we're in the right arenas in the right markets. Um, You know, Canada still represents an opportunity for us to add two, three, maybe four more markets in that country. Um, so we're being very strategic geographically. We're being very strategic uh, in terms of who we let into the league as an owner because our current group is just world-class. We want to make sure it stays that way. So we're being very careful. But to answer your question, in five years' time, um, you know, I could see us being a 17-18 team league. In 10 years' time, being a 24-26 team league. And in 15 years, we'll be a 30-team league. We'll be several iterations into our media deal at that point. And, um, you know, pretty well-grounded. Well, at that point, you know, we'll be almost approaching 50 years of the NLL. Wow. That's, that's incredible. What, um, so when you're looking for different owners in different markets, are there some key points you're like, these are top three things that I'm looking for in an owner and in a market? Yeah, really great question. Uh, three absolutely compulsory criteria. First, the quality of the owner. And the quality of the owner means not just financial depth and wherewithal, but also operational expertise. Understands the sports business and understands what's required to invest in the sports business, especially with a league like ours that requires a lot of strategic investing and investing in re- revenue strategy and relevant strategy. The second thing we look for is a great arena. We want a great arena for our fans to enjoy the game. Uh, if you've ever been to an NLL game, it's like 
it's two hours of sensory overload. And <laughs> the arena is really, really important. And not just in terms of a quality arena, but also an arena um, that where it, either the owner owns that arena or has a promotional partnership with that arena owner where they can make a reasonable business out of it. And then the third thing we look at is market. We, and there's, you know, in, in, in my career I've learned there's really no bad markets. There's just bad arenas and bad owners, <laughs> uh, except for maybe one or two. There might You might say, oh, that's a tough market or that's a bad market. But, um, you know, we're, we're really strategic and geographic market is what we look at. So those are the three things. It's... Um I love the strategic nature that you have about all of this from your media deals to how you grow. It's not just growing like wildfire and just figuring it out. It's, you know, we got to make sure that we've got the right person in the right arena. You know, if you can get into a good market, but the arena only has weekday dates, I would assume that that's not a good deal for you, uh, and nor would it be a good uh, right. venture. So it's it, there's so many steps and layers to figuring out uh, what great markets would be, uh, and what could eventually equal uh, a great franchise. That's correct. Exactly right. And there's very little margin for error with a league like ours. You know, you could you could have a big expensive hiccup in the NFL and not feel it, but when you when you have a big hiccup in a league like ours, or even in the early days of MLS, you feel it. So you can't. That's why you have to be very careful and strategic with your approach. Amen. So my uh, last question uh, to you, Nick, is much of our audience, uh, they're aspiring sports professionals, right? And when they're looking and they're watching SportsCenter, they're on their phones, they're really looking at the you know four major leagues, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and uh, the National Hockey League as their quote-unquote dream jobs. Why should the next crop of talent look at the NLL? Uh, what, uh, what do you think your league provides that is unique to up-and-coming sports execs? The opportunity to express an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, if you have that bug in you, and if you're a thought leader, and you're creative, and you like to do different things and think out of the box like entrepreneurs do, then leagues like you know Major League Soccer startup and the NLL, and even you know, it's, I mean, the NLL is established. We're going to be celebrating our 35th year next year, but we still think and act and role, as they say, very entrepreneurially. And, and if you're someone who enjoys that culture and enjoys that atmosphere and opportunity, then, um, then that's the place to be. You know, the more established leagues are tremendous. I mean, they're tremendous proving grounds. They're, they're incredibly sophisticated businesses and very large businesses. And it's just a different environment. But if you're someone who has that entrepreneurial bug, um, and you're not afraid to make mistakes, and you're not afraid to fail, then um, I'd highly recommend looking at uh, a league like ours, or there's other opportunities out there in the sports world. I agree. I think that entrepreneurial spirit, no matter what you're doing, whether it's sports or widgets, uh, is one of the ones that you just can't get rid of, right? It's part of your DNA. And I think when you start thinking like that, you kind of have a whole all-encompassing 
uh, kind of thought process that can only help you in life, uh, help you in business, and help you in a you know um, in a, in a league like yours where you can no matter if you're two years out of college, you can really make uh, an impact uh, in the NLL similar like in uh, my career in minor league baseball. Those you know we've got people that are 23 year, 20, 23 years old making a giant impact uh, in our business each and every day. That's right. Well, Nick, I am uh, so thankful that you uh, took the time. You, uh, your career has just been uh, exceptional, and we uh, feel honored uh, to have a guest of your caliber uh, on Front Office Features uh, today. So uh, a million thank yous um, for coming on, and we're, I'm just so appreciative of your, uh, of your time. Congratulations on all your success, and nothing but best of luck as you continue uh, the growth of the NLL. So I appreciate it, Rob, and I'm honored to be on. And you know, it's it, it, I, I don't I don't do much really really super well other than hire great people. It's all about the people that surround you. So I can only I can only point to all the trophies I've collected over twenty I guess twenty five years now yeah. um, as a result of the people that are with me. So thank you very much. Honored to be on. Uh, my, uh, thank you. Thank you again. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Cheers, Rob. Cheers. Nice chat. Thanks. Bye. Bye.